we need to bring something new to our retailers, to their customers. But also as well, if we were to just do the same as everybody else, to be completely honest, life would be quite boring. We're called outcasts for a reason, which is we like to do things you know, on, on the margins of our category. We obviously need to follow certain things that the category dictates in terms of liquid profile and the way in which we talk about our brands. But we like to kind of stretch that as far as we can. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Inner Wealth, the Forbes Ignite podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal, CEO of Forbes Ignite. And every week I'll be sharing with you my conversations with unique, creative, and innovative people across all different industries. These are people who are intellectually curious explorers who are also redefining what it means to be successful today. From personal to professional, we cover it all to understand what drives our guests to blaze their own trails and create nimble solutions within the industries that touch each of our lives. Our guest today is Jason Kidd founder of Outcast Brands, an innovative premium spirits brand. Jason has many years of experience in branding and marketing with big drinks brands and so much more. He also has a unique perspective on sustainable business practices where your everyday action is so much more important than pledges. We talk about creating an experiential brand, leading with authenticity, challenging his organization to be more sustainable, and so much more. I know you're gonna love what he has to say. Here's our chat. Hi, Jason. How's it going? Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Nicole, thanks so much. It's an absolute pleasure. So we've had a couple of great conversations previously, and I'm really excited to be speaking with you because you have a very unique perspective, especially in the industry that you're working in. And so I'd love to know, what have you been up to lately? Yeah, so I'm the founder of Outcast Brands. It's a premium drinks company based in Ireland. Um, we've been around since around uh, March of 2020. Uh, so we we launched at the beginning of the pandemic, and um, we have uh, two brands, uh, Blood Monkey Gin and Two Shores Rum. And we essentially just try to bring uh, something completely new to consumers and the trade alike with everything that we're doing. Um, quite strong in our domestic market in Ireland, but um, as per our previous conversations, we're rolling out into a number of other export markets. Um, we recently launched in New York and looking to expand out across the States as well. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So tell us your story. What is your personal and professional journey to where you are today? So I grew up in big drinks companies. I graduated with marketing from a university in the UK, and I managed to get myself into the graduate program with Diageo, and I reached the dizzy heights of brand manager for Guinness in Germany. I then did a number of roles in uh, junior, middle management and senior management um, across the next 10 to 12 years, working again in Germany. Ireland and also Australia, working mainly within premium beer and also touching on wine and some spirits as well. But I guess really uh, what I'm just kind of keen to share with you, Nicole, is that over the last probably, you know, seven, but but most pointedly over the last four years or so, I very much jumped onto the entrepreneurial side of things. So while I'm still in contact with friends and contacts from, from big drinks business, I find myself in a completely different space, being motivated by different things and different drivers having become, I guess, really a part-time entrepreneur until the start of COVID and then full-time entrepreneur and startup founder since March 2020. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. So what motivates you? And in other words, what inspires you and who are some of your role models? So I'm very much inspired by those that are closest to me. I guess if I could just shortlist those down to three, they're, they're actually family members. 
I'd say my strongest motivation is probably my father. Uh, my father worked in a, a full-time role for about 25 years um, in the construction industry. And then he himself decided to branch out on his own. So I've seen what hard work, dedication and graft uh, it actually takes to get a business started, to get it to survive after the first one year or two years, and then start to bring people in around you that share your dream and share your passion as well. I guess really there is something within my DNA that, that, I, that I've got from my father, but also as well, just having grown up with him in my early teens, just seeing him leave early in the morning, coming back late at night, working in um, evenings and weekends, yet still having family time as well. He's, he's certainly my role model for sure. I'd say secondly is actually probably my sister. Um, my sister's never worked in construction. She's never worked in brand development or, or marketing. My sister's actually a senior nurse in uh, the local hospital where I grew up. And I think I've mostly been motivated by the fact that Emma, you know, particularly over the last two and a half years when the world's gone through the change that it has, she just embodied that spirit of commitment we saw from healthcare workers across the world, you know, basically putting on their scrubs and going onto the wards when, when COVID was an unknown thing. And, you know, I, I was very, very proud of her, of what she's done. I still am very proud of what she's done as well. And, you know, she, she's just been promoted to a new role within within the hospital as well. But I took real a real sense of um, commitment, dedication, putting herself second, you know, in the service of her um, patients. Probably thirdly is my wife. My wife, Kathy, works for a, a, a large global drinks company, not in the alcoholic space, but in a soft drink space. And again, um, she's in a global role, yet she also finds time to be a full-time mum to our three kids. I also try to be a full-time dad, which is, not, which is not always easy when we're both traveling and we're both working, you know, beyond nine to five. But I think just a combination of those three people particularly have really brought me to the space that I am now. I'd just like to say that the role models that you mentioned all have a, a really, a lot of parallels to entrepreneurship. There's that dedication there's that uh, service to the mission and um, learning the, all those qualities from your father, from your sister and from your wife. I think that all transpires into your everyday decision making to create a sense of purpose in what you do. So I think that's so important. And thank you so much for calling that out. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And while I, while I appreciate we're talking today around, you know, the founder story and the business side of entrepreneurship. I still feel it's really important, not only for people that, that, that are working long hours or working in any industry, is to still find time for themselves and those that are closest around them. You know, I can only ever be my best self at work if I can be my best self at home. So as tricky as it can sometimes be, you know, having the discipline to put the tools down at the right time in the evening and spend time with, you know, kids or family or friends really supercharges me for the next day. I really admire people who are themselves at work, in their personal lives, those who could just be their best selves in whatever situation or environment that they're in. And so I have a lot to learn from you because I agree, it is really hard when you're juggling so many things at once and finding quality time for your family as well. Do you believe we're seeing a renaissance of entrepreneurship in the beverage space? Yes, I do think we are. I think the last couple of years has allowed people to take a time out from their nine to five and to maybe um, follow entrepreneurial dreams that they may have harbored and, and they've had the time and the space to do that. But I don't think it's just within drinks. I think if you look at some of the startups now that have come through, you know, particularly in the last two to three, but maybe the five years, if you look at um, you know, plant-based foods, 
if you look at green tech, if you look at um, you know the way in which banking has been completely revolutionized, I think there is a huge amount of innovation still untapped that, that entrepreneurs are going to find solutions to everyday problems to. But I think just really from my own perspective, I've certainly seen a, a renaissance in entrepreneurship within the drinks category driven mainly by the smaller producers, the craft producers or artisan producers that are slightly unshackled from the larger drinks companies that allow them to take calculated risks and launch new flavors or new formats, which larger drinks companies, because of their size and because of the commercial pressure that they're under, that when they launch a new innovation, it absolutely has to be right because of the investment behind it. I think entrepreneurs be it food, be it tech, be it drink, they're able to take well-informed, calculated risks to put something onto the market that they know is going to connect with possibly a very small target market, but they can then build off the back of that as opposed to having to build the next big brand within a certain category. I think there has been a renaissance of entrepreneurs that are able to do small things quicker and then build from there. What are some of the initiatives that you're most proud of? I would say we're very lucky that we have a really good shareholder mix and a group of very supportive um, stakeholders around us. So we have specifically chosen not to go out to maybe the trodden path of uh, money via the banks or money via venture capitalists. We have sought out initially friends and family, but also as well those closest to us within the industry they really understand what we're trying to do and what, our, what the purpose of Outcast Brands is. Those that also give us the space and entrust us to take the business forward in a way that we, we, we feel right. And sometimes that's not always the trodden path that, that big brands tend to take. We don't have a large infrastructure around us. We don't have multiple partners in, in multiple markets. However, when we do reach out to partner with, for example, exporters or, or um, distributors in other markets to our own, it's really important that they get us on a business level, but probably more importantly, do they get us on a personal level as well? They're going to get commitment from us. They're going to get quick turnaround of, of requests, et cetera. But are these the type of people that you can sit down with after a long day's work and just talk about friends and family? Because I think that that just enriches our, our business relationship as well. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. The people that you want to work with are also the people that you should be able to have a human to human connection with. I strongly believe that even though many people might argue the opposite. So you note in your company's description that you're out to shake up the craft spirits market. What is different about the market today that demands new thinking? So I think one of the key things is that particularly when you look at the alcoholic drinks market, uh, you know, today's consumers drink less. There are less occasions when people are choosing alcohol over other drinks. But when they do choose to drink alcohol, they drink a higher quality. So premium spirits are doing very well. Craft beer is doing very well. Higher end wines are doing well, particularly within Europe and within the States as well. And I think what's really important is when you look at our target market is, you know, our target market would be slightly older than, you know, the kind of millennial set that everybody seems to be going for. But what I think is really uh, interesting is that the reason why people are drinking less and they're looking for higher quality, particularly with, you know, the onset of the cost of living and inflation going through the roof as well, is they're looking for stronger experiences to have with brands. And that is something that I think is worthwhile, not only for 
our target market, but also those people who have grown up with the categories of gin and rum who are looking for something different. Um, there will always be people that are loyal to one or two particular brands, but we need to be able to be to bring something new to the category. That's really been driven by, I think, my own background, having worked for big drinks companies and seen drinks innovations being pulled back slightly as not appealing to the mainstream, which I understand what, why large drinks companies do that, because they need to try and maximize their investment. But that's one of the joys of being an entrepreneur, and it's one of the joys of being a very agile, lean business, is that, yes, we do consumer research, we talk with our distributors, we understand the category, we talk with retailers, but you can take calculated risks that large companies sometimes might not. Exactly. And so on that note, how are consumer attitudes towards craft spirits and independent brands evolving? I think what's quite interesting is that, you know, while the mainstream players will always be there and while the, in inverted commas, mainstream craft or mainstream premium brands will be there, I think one of the key drivers that we've seen, not just across drinks, but also other consumer goods categories, is consumers are looking for authenticity. And with authenticity comes transparency. So we're very open about the fact that we do not distill our own liquids. We own the recipes to our liquids, but we don't distill them because we've chosen not to go down the route of building you know, a big visitor center style distillery and then produce brands. We've chosen to do it the other way around, which is build the brand first, build the distillery second, so that we hopefully have a proven track record of a, a love and loyalty for our liquid. And I think what, what comes with the transparency around that is that we don't shy away from the difficult questions around, well, where are you based? You know, we're, we're all based at home because the vast majority of people that are working these days are based at home. Um, you know, we, we don't shy away from the fact that our rum brand is made in Panama and we bring it into Ireland and we finish it in second barrels here. You know, we, but we're very open on the back of our label, on our website, on social, etc. We always communicate the fact that, you know, we don't use additives, we don't use colorings, we don't use chill filtration, which there are some certain rules around whiskies and gins that the rum category doesn't have. So a lot of rum brands don't need to be transparent about those things, but we have chosen to be. And you have a very unique point of view on when or whether it makes sense for a company to promote their sustainability accomplishments. Could you share that with us? We are um, accredited by Board Beer, which is the Irish Food Board. We are accredited under a, under a scheme called the Origin Green um, Accreditation. So I think that what that does is that it gives consumers a peace of mind that they are, they are choosing to purchase products from an Irish producer that has sustainability as part of their decision-making process. It's not to say that we are an eco-first brand. It's not to say that we're a, a green brand, but we are completely transparent around how we're bringing products to market. Um, it's also quite an interesting scheme insofar as um, Origin Green um, asks you to pledge what your key actions are going to be for the next 12 months, but, and they hold you to that. And if you don't improve over 12 to 24 months, you then have to re-win that accreditation. You know, I think that action is more important than pledging. So if I say to you, I choose to be a sustainable brand by 2030, I don't really need to do a huge amount between now and 2030. However, if I'm going out and putting on our website or putting on the back of our packaging or in our communications, that we're Origin Green accredited and we're choosing to do things in a certain way, even though it might be commercially detrimental to our brand, it's more important for us that we're being sustainably minded and transparent for our consumers and customers. That's such an important point because... I know that we mentioned previously that there are so many brands out there that market and spend a lot of marketing dollars on the fact that they're green. 
and the fact that they have sustainable practices, but it's much more important for the action to be there rather than to simply market that and fall short of what you're pledging. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, unfortunately, you're starting to see this creep into other areas of society as well. So Pride Week, for example, um, you know, there's this new term within marketing, which is called pride washing, which essentially you can find brands that essentially either rightly or wrongly choose to put the rainbow emblem onto their packaging or their communications for a certain amount of time in order to either um, align themselves with the value of that really important cause or to be seen to be aligning themselves with the values of that important cause. Um, It's the same way that we approach sustainability. So we don't put it front and centre on our bottles. We don't put it front and centre on our website, but we're never going to not be transparent about it if asked. But we're really proud that we're Origin Green accredited within our first two years. Wow, that's incredible. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So what would you say to listeners who are interested in starting their own venture like yours? I think on a personal level, you have to be comfortable with discomfort, okay? You're going to start your journey not knowing all the answers. And if you want to research your category to the point where you have all the answers, the chances are you will have potentially missed the boat in bringing something new onto the market. The hardest step is always going to be the first. And and from there on, I think it's a case of making sure that you are open for new entrepreneurs to ask questions of you and to never be afraid to ask those entrepreneurs that are further down the line to ask them questions as to how they got there and if there are any watchouts or, or anything that they can advise you of. But I think overall, the one thing that I found is, don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed my time working with big drinks companies. Um, it comes with uh, you know a certain lifestyle. It comes with a certain collegiate comfort, if you like. But you have to be comfortable in your own skin. You have to be comfortable putting yourself forward in situations where you might not know all the answers. But again, it's around being transparent, being honest and holding up your hands when you might not have the answer to a question and saying, do you know what? I don't know that right now, but I can come back to you. And one thing that I think is particularly relevant within the drinks industry, but particularly within Ireland, is uh, collaboration will always beat competition. So, you know, if I can give somebody else a leg up, you know, as opposed to standing on their foot, then I will always do that because You never know what might come down the line where I need to put my hand up and ask, you know, a a question of somebody who I've helped before in the past. And it's not a case of holding people to account and making sure that they repay promises or anything like that. But it's just being collaboratively minded and being comfortable in the fact that you don't know everything. Absolutely. And whenever you have the opportunity to help somebody out, you never know when it will come back to you and it will come back to you. And so I think those are really fundamental things for people to be mindful of, especially when they embark on entrepreneurship. I I think you're absolutely right. And I think also, Nicole, just further to what we said at the beginning of the podcast is, you know, so I try and bring some of my personal behaviors or the vast majority of my personal behaviors into my working behaviors, because, again, that drives authenticity. People usually get the best of me. Um, And I, I, I feel as if I can seamlessly go from work mode to personal mode relatively easily. And so I'm not expending a huge amount of energy by trying to put on a certain persona or a certain face. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are positions where you're having conversations or negotiations where you don't want to be as open as as you possibly would be with your partner or your neighbor. But that said, you know, the same way that you would happily collaborate with your neighbor, I see absolutely no harm 
in uh, collaborating with people within our industry because you never know when you might need their help in return. Exactly. And I want to circle back on something that you talked about specifically with sustainability and how it's much more important to be more focused on the action rather than purely just the marketing side of things. How is Outcast Brands operating in a more sustainable way? So we partner with uh, distilleries, third-party suppliers, such as our glass suppliers, our bottle suppliers, our packaging suppliers, to ensure that we're doing things as sustainably as we possibly can right now. So again, we're not pledging that in five years' time we're going to start to be sustainable. We're being as sustainable as we can be while still being commercially prudent right now so that when people buy a bottle of Bud Monkey or a bottle of Two Shores, they can do that with peace of mind that we're Origin Green accredited. That doesn't mean that our work stops now. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're done. What that means is that we have got a fairly good baseline of a sustainable way of doing things that we need to build on. So, you know, our glass is currently 54% recycled. We need to get to 60% before we can get to 65 and 70%. You know, our outer packaging is 100% recycled paper and it's 100% recyclable, but I would love it to be 100% compostable as well. So there, there are ways in which we are constantly challenging ourselves. Um, we're essentially a paperless office, um, you know, across all the people that work with us. We're trying to phase out business cards because no one really needs them anymore. When we use uh, in-store displays, we use 100% recycled um, paper as well. So it's, it's around doing as much as we can right now while understanding that, that we haven't reached our destination. If anything, we're actually at the start of our sustainability journey. We just hope to be you know, a few steps down that road. So those are such important points because you, you realize that, especially in today's market, a lot of people expect brands to be 100% this or 100% that, and it's not as binary as that. It depends on where you are in the sustainability journey and how you're able to increase your sustainable business practices the best way that you can, rather than just trying to be all or nothing. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, there, are some, there are some brands that we can take um, um, you know, a huge amount of direction and inspiration from, you know, the likes of uh, Patagonia clothing, for example, are you know, absolutely at the top of the sustainability game, but they continuously talk about sustainable improvement. And, you know, while we are in a, in a completely different league to someone like a Patagonia, I, I read their literature with, with interest because that's where I get our inspiration from. So that when we're launching a new brand or if we're thinking about a new initiative, then, you know, we're just making sure that sustainability is on the decision making table as opposed to doing something that we might communicate afterwards because we feel as if we have to. Exactly. And in a lot of cases, that's way more important, especially when you're incorporating sustainability in your business model rather than having that as an afterthought. So I really do appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was actually one of our three strategic pillars this year was to gain our Origin Cream sustainability accreditation. And we've hit one of the other two as well. So we've got four months to hit the other one. But um, yeah, it, it was absolutely front and center on our business plan on the page last year as one of the key strategic pillars that we wanted to meet this year. Absolutely. So Jason, I ask this question to every single one of my guests on the podcast. So I'd love to know, how do you define success? I define success as happiness and contentment in a job well done. So it's not wanting to be the biggest or the best within our category. It's not wanting to be seen as a most innovative 
It is around making sure that when we have done a piece of work, be that an event, a new product launch, working with a distributor, that we can walk away with integrity and with our heads held high to say, we did that to the best of our ability. And to not kick ourselves if we mark ourselves an eight or a nine out of 10. It's around, you know, realizing that we're all humans at the end of the day, but making sure that we brought our best self to work so that we can bring our best self back home as well at the end of the day. That is such an incredible definition. I have never heard anyone quite articulate it like that. So I really do appreciate that. Well, Jason, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. And I've learned a lot from this conversation. And I really do appreciate your perspective and your insights, especially coming from an industry where I'm still learning. I really appreciate the conversation and I hope to do this again soon. Nicole, thank you so much for the opportunity. It was lovely to talk to you. That's it for this week's episode of Inner Wealth. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll join us next week as we continue to explore all the ways success is being redefined in our ever-changing world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Forbes Ignite for more thought-provoking content and opportunities to engage with us. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal. Thanks for joining us.